Hello, this is Harrison Kim, and you're listening to Working with People by PaveStep. The Working with People podcast is for executives, managers, and people leaders. We bring people experts together to provide you with relevant content on how to think about and manage your most important asset, your people. We have Len here with us today. How's it going? It's going great. Awesome. Thank you. No, thanks for coming on. Where are you calling from right now? I'm in New York, Staten Island. Nice. Were you born and raised here? Also known as the Forgotten Borough. <laughs> uh, was, I, was I born and raised here? You couldn't tell by my accent. Yes, native New Yorker, born and raised in Manhattan on the Lower East Side, and been in New York my whole life. Awesome. So, well, awesome. my whole life so far, my whole life hasn't completed yet. So. Yep. Awesome. So, we're going to be talking about remote hiring and onboarding process today. Obviously, most companies today are, you know, who are fortunate enough to hire are doing things remote for the most part. But before we get into all of that stuff, tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. So as you said, my name is Len Adams. I am the CEO and founder of Adams Consulting Group. We are a global recruiting and staffing organization. We've been in business for 18 years, and I've been in the industry for better than 40. I worked for another firm for many years, so this is really only my second job in my career. <laughs> so. I'm not one that likes to move around, even though I advocate for people to move. And we started 18 years ago. We've morphed into a family business. So I've got a second generation of uh, my sons and daughter behind me Mm -hmm. and a great team of people that have been with me for quite a long time. Most of them from the time I started and a few others that came in after. We have almost zero turnover. Awesome. So what are some challenges and opportunities in remote recruiting and onboarding in your experience so far? Oh, I think one of the biggest opportunities is it, it opens up the workforce. It opens up to a larger pool of people. You're not confined to your specific geographic area unless there's a real compelling reason to have somebody in that specific area. And I'll use us as a perfect example. What a lot of people may not know, because we've kind of opened the curtain over the last couple of months, is I've had a remote team for 18 years. Mm. Okay, and clients have only recently found this out and were quite surprised. They said, we never knew it from your service because it was so transparent. Well, it wasn't transparent because they didn't know that, but the service was so uh, so quick they, they didn't right. realize it. We just hired a couple of people, one in Wisconsin, one in Florida, and it doesn't matter to me where they are. I think the biggest pro was that you're opening up your, your pool of talent. On the, the negative side is... Sometimes you may not know who you're getting because they are from a different area. Right. So it's a little bit tougher maybe to get references or get. In New York, everybody knows everybody. You know, we're all three degrees separated from someone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so we mm-hmm. can always find out about people. If you're getting someone in Florida or Wisconsin or California, you may not have a network to, to reach out to them. Right. So let's walk through some of those best practices you've created and you've seen over the last 18 years. And we'll start with specifically hiring remotely, right? So thinking about attracting talent, what do you think are some of the best processes or practices to go about attracting talent to your organization? Okay, well, I don't know that there's a difference in attracting talent, whether you're remote or not. I think if you set the processes in place to attract talent to your brand, by being proactive, by reaching out to people within and outside of your industry, by you know building a strong network, you'll attract people. The other thing is, from a branding viewpoint, I think certainly testimonials from 
current employees, testimonials mm. from clients are important in terms of keeping the brand strong and putting a positive message out there. But it really shouldn't matter whether they're in the office or not, right? right. Recruiting, you're recruiting. Right. And, yeah, I mean, I guess that's especially true if you think about organizations like yours. It's not like you're sitting with your clients every day, right, whether right. it's today exactly. or 10 years ago or five years ago, right? It's kind of the same thing. Yeah, that's true. What about specifically in the interview process? So some of the challenges that we've heard is something that you just discussed briefly is can't get to physically know this person in person. What are some best practices that HR leaders and leaders and talent acquisition specialists should think about when it comes to remote interviewing process? Sure. Certainly, I think Zoom and Mm -hmm. Skype and all these tools are a great tool. You know, you are able to kind of look somebody in the eye over the camera. So I don't know that there's a big difference. You don't get the benefit of how do they shake your hand. You know, <laughs> yeah. Is it a limp handshake? Is it a strong handshake? Are they walking in staggering because, you know, they just had three drinks before they <laughs> walked in? So you don't know that. But I think over a couple of Zoom interviews, you get to know somebody a bit. And, look, are people going to make a mistake? Absolutely. You know, the same way they make a mistake in person, they can make a mistake over over a phone call. But I think certainly – Video is important, number one. Number two, when hosting or holding a video interview such as this, you need to treat it seriously. Both sides, the candidate has to take it seriously, be prepared for it, as well as the client. And I know we all have challenges with dogs and kids and cats, yeah, kinds of things going on behind this, but you have to try to separate if you can and carve out the time for no interruptions and pay attention to what you're doing on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. The second thing is I think speed becomes a little bit more important. We don't have the benefit in a personal interview of walking someone down the hall to meet the next level, to meet another colleague. So having people available to say, I want to pass you on to the next interview and let's do it now or let's do it a half hour from now. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to have those ducks lined up so that there's not a lot of time wasted. Right. Yeah. And I think from the candidate perspective, too, because when they're in your office, for example, they're able to see different people, get a little vibe, get a little feeling for the place and who you are. Whereas I think that's obviously less easy when it comes to video conferencing, right? To yeah, see that and yeah. feel that. So I think you're right. Like somehow creating that kind of, obviously it's not as organic as before, but some kind of interaction where you're not just getting on the phone or getting on the video conference and being like, oh, hello, I'm going to tell you about myself, and then it's over. Um, right. You know, having right. somewhat of an experience, I think, is helpful. Yeah, I think that's I do I mean. think, though, in a format like this, I think people tend to be a little bit more casual and maybe mm. a little bit more honest. They kind of, I say mm. let their hair down, but that, you know, that went away from me a long time. <laughs> but I think people are not as structured in an interview like this than they are in an in-person interview. Right. Maybe they're not as nervous. Maybe they feel more comfortable because they're in their own environment and their own surroundings. But along those lines, too, what we tend to do, at least for our organization, we'll have candidates that we're looking to hire for us speak with other people in, in the company. And we're not a large company. We're only 10 people. We'll have them speak with some of the people they're going to work with to get a sense without one of us on the phone, to right. get a sense for who we are, what we're all about, and see if they're, if they're going to fit in. And it's interesting that you mentioned the whole, like, they're in their environment, they feel more comfortable. It's actually sometimes more personal, even though you're not in person. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, because when you go on an interview, you're coming into their house, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're holding all the cards, and it's their office, and 
You're sitting across the desk. Now we're kind of, we're having a conversation. Yeah, and you don't you know? even know if I have pants on. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I didn't want to tell you that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, That's no, why sure. I won't stand up. <laughs> okay, so that makes a lot of sense. So if you think about onboarding, right, I think onboarding is another very tricky part because obviously a big component of onboarding is the kind of the culture simulation almost, if you will, right, where you get to meet with different people, kind of get the culture values and all of those things not only communicated but also experienced, right, from physical perspective for certain candidates. What are some of the best practices in a remote environment? Okay, well, beyond the, the issue of getting their paperwork and all yeah. that, which nowadays it's all electronic anyway, so that's mm-hmm, simple. Mm-hmm. On the first day, there should be someone designated to welcome the new employee, even though they're not coming in physically to an office. Someone should kind of read them the ropes of what's expected, what do they expect, and make sure everyone's in alignment and kind of let them know what the workday is going to look like, how they want to be handled, and so on. So I think, you know, having sort of an ambassador mm-hmm. internally to welcome that person. So it's not just, okay, you're starting tomorrow, and, yeah, you're not coming into the office. So 9 o'clock, just turn on your computer and start <laughs> working. What do I do? What do I expect? What's the reporting line? Right. How often do you want to hear from me? Do you want to hear from me every couple of hours? We had an issue. I'll tell you this. We put someone into a temp position a couple of weeks ago, and it was interesting. They were going to be working from home, and the candidate worked from 8 to 4. He was told his hours were anywhere from 8 to 5, 8 to 4, 9 to 5. Okay, 4.30, they tried reaching him, and they couldn't reach him. And the client went crazy. Oh, where is he? So we got him, and he said, well, I was walking my dog, so I finished. He said, I worked from 8 o'clock to 4. Okay, you can see I logged in. I was in touch with them during the day, but 4 o'clock I was done. Yeah. I did my eight hours. And then the client said, oh, okay. So, But that's a communication problem. Yeah. Right? The candidate should have said, I'm going to work 8 to 4. or the, And the client should have said, this is what we expect. And if you're going to sign off, let us know you're leaving. Okay. Right. So I think that those are the types of things. Communication is important. It's key. Yeah, and I think those like specific, I don't want to say policies, but – the cadence of meetings, like when you're expected to be on, like the core hours and things like that, I think they need to be more explicitly talked about and kind of agreed upon with new employees and existing employees just because with the remote environment, like I think a lot of companies are finding that people may not be on 9 to 5, right? They may be on 9 to 12 and then 2 to 6 and then whatever else, right? So I think that's definitely needed. I think people have to recognize what the culture is. Is it a task-oriented culture? Or is it a time-oriented culture? Do I expect someone to be at their desk, at their computer, by their phone from 9 to 5, as if they're in the office? Or am I comfortable with them, as you say, working 8.30 to 12, taking a lunch break, which they're entitled to, coming back, maybe working another half hour and and walking their dog, but maybe they're going to work until 7 o'clock. Maybe they're going to be on later on. It depends on the culture. Are they customer-facing? Or are they not customer-facing? What they'd be doing is a research work. I'll give you a perfect example. We brought on over the past few months some people to do research work for us. And it was really a lot of computer work and just taking data and manipulating it and cleaning up data lists and so on. And I said to them, I don't care when you do the work. I want X number of hours a week, okay? And whether you work on the weekend or during the week or after five, it doesn't matter to me, right. okay? I'm going to give you X number of records. I need them done. Okay? I'm assuming it's 40 hours. I'm paying you for 40 hours. 
You may do it in 30. That's fine. I'm paying you for 40. Right. But that's my culture. Right. And I was comfortable with that. Okay. And I tell them, just put a nine to five on your timesheet. But I really don't care when you do it. Right. Okay. Right. And most of the work, I know some of them were doing the weekends. They were doing it at night. And that's fine. It worked for us. Mm-hmm. Some of them, we had about seven people. Some of them work nine to five. Right. That's fine too. Right. Again, if you define the culture up front, then there are no surprises. Right. When there's surprises, that's when problems happen. Yeah, absolutely. And when you talked about the ambassador, I think it usually helps too when you have an ambassador who welcomes this new employee who's not his or her manager, actually. Right. Yes. I found that like to be pretty powerful when I onboarded to my other companies when I started working there. You know, it helped that it wasn't my manager that was kind of giving me orders on what I needed to do. It was more like colleague, right? Uh, right. Who was telling me, hey, this is like how the things actually work. <laughs> right, right. What's the reality of it? <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. It's all a matter of communication and expectations. Those two things have to go hand in hand. If I as an employer don't communicate to my employees what I'm expecting, mm-hmm. all right, and if they don't know what I'm expecting, then there's going to be a disconnect. Yep. And that's when problems happen. Okay. And, you know, the key is to try to avoid those problems from day one. Okay. Because usually when, if you don't, then in day 30 is right. when they start to blow up. And yep. that, that's when you have an issue. Yep. So you mentioned, uh, employer brand. You kind of talked about that at the beginning here. And obviously this has always been important, but now I think HR and talent experts and, you know, professionals have started to coin the term, right? Employer brand and kind of started pushing on that uh, definitely a lot more, I think, over the last several years than before. How can organizations think about really letting their employer brand shine throughout the recruiting process and onboarding process when it's remote? Because I feel like that's another one of those like difficult things to do in in a remote environment. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think what happens is it really becomes a matter of letting the true culture come through. And in a remote workforce, that's when it really has to show. Because, look, if you're a big company or even a mid-sized company or a small company and you have these fancy offices, that's what's selling your brand because it's beautiful and you're in a nice building and whatnot. Now all those things go away, right? And there's no cafeteria and there's no lunchtime to, to go congregate and you're not going out for drinks afterwards. So now what is the true culture? Right. You know, is it a culture of cohesiveness and inclusiveness? Or is it a culture of the silos where no one speaks to each other? Right. And that's going to come through very clearly in a remote workforce. Yeah. Right? Again, I kill the word to death, but communication. Right. Okay? And if communication is getting through to everybody and people are getting the sense for what they're really working with, in a remote workforce, it's even easier, I think, for people to let their hair down, and if they're really unhappy, it's easy for them to talk to their colleagues because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're not caught whispering in the hallway about the boss. They can make a phone call. I wish they could do anyway, but they don't have to worry about somebody overhearing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think, truthfully, it comes out even more in an environment where people are working from home. Right. So I know your organization has been remote for a while, right? Outside of recruiting and onboarding, any tips or insights that you want to share for listeners or on managing just your remote workforce? Yeah. You have to treat it as if you're in the same office. Okay. I mean, what we do, and I'll I'll be honest, we only started doing this recently because of the times and people were so scared about everything. 
we hold a weekly meeting, half an hour or so, the whole team together. But I know I and the team speak all day long. I mean, we're on the phone all day, and my phone system is such that it's four digits away. So it's as if they're in the next office. You know, we're constantly calling each other, checking in on things, asking questions. We're back and forth on email and text. So I don't find it as a challenge, to be Mm -hmm. honest. You ask my team. Some of the people on the team worked with me previously where we worked in an office. Gotcha. And when I went on my own and started this company, we worked in an office for about a year, and I realized, I said, we're going into an office, I'm paying rent, because now it's my money I'm talking about, right? I wasn't working with somebody else. And I said, we're going in, we're getting on the phone and sending out emails. What are we doing this for? And especially one of the, the first employees, I said, would you like to work from home? Yeah. I said, hell yeah. Okay. And you know what? The flip side of it in 18 years, we never have a sick day. We never have a snow day. Right. Nobody's looking to run home at 4.30 because they have to grab a bus. So when a client calls at 4.30 with a need, they jump on it. Right. Okay? Sick days, I actually yell at some of my staff because I don't yell, but because they're home and they don't feel well. <laughs> yeah. And I tell yeah. them, all right, you know, turn the computer off and take a day. And then I'm here anyway. I'm not dying. I'll sit in my bed and I'll send out some emails. I'll make some calls. Yeah. Look, that's a testament to my team. Yeah. They're great. They just don't take off sick. Could they committed? Maybe they should be committed, but I should be committed too. You could strike, you could strike that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? They're not worried about going to the office. They're there anyway. And the, the attitude is, I'm here anyway, so so what? So yeah. I work. Big deal. So I, we truly, we've never had a sick day. In 18, I don't think I've had any of my team take off a day. That's awesome. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, so. absolutely. I have one other question for you. What's the biggest challenge working with your family? Working with my family. (laughs) It's got a lot of pros and some cons. I guess from a pro viewpoint, I know they have my back. I can trust them implicitly. Although I have to tell you, the rest of my team is great. So there's a lot of trust both ways. Somebody asked me yesterday about this with working with my, my sons and my daughter. I guess the biggest pro is they've been in training their whole life. Mm-hmm. They've heard me their whole life. So there are things that sometimes I don't think that they know. And they go, oh, yeah, we know about that. Or we, we've done that. Or we've prepared <laughs> it that way. Yeah, we've heard you already. We, You know, they've heard me their whole life I've, that I've been doing this. That's funny. So, yeah. but, you know, they've been in training 30 years. That's funny. And they're only yeah. in their 30s. So it's, it's been great. On the con side, I guess it's tough sometimes to separate from being a father and being a boss. Mm. Okay. And that has its pros and cons. There are things that maybe they get away with that as employees they wouldn't. And by the same token, there are things that I don't let them slide on that maybe I would let employees slide on, but I hold them quite accountable and to a higher standard. And as an example, I would never, ever raise my voice to my staff, ever. Right, right. But to my sons. <laughs> Different question. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes if I get annoyed, I'll, I'll come at them. And I go, I shouldn't do that here. <laughs> and, and I would never do it in front of staff. But right, uh, right. it's a difficult challenge. That's the most difficult thing is yeah. separating being a father and being a boss. Yeah, that Pretty makes hard. sense. I'm sure it's hard for them too. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Len. This has been really, really awesome. Where can the audience find you in your thought leadership? Okay, well, they can find us on the web, www.acgresources.com. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. My email is lenadams at acgresources.com. 
and we respond to every inquiry, every call, every email, every text all the time. Awesome. We don't ghost people. Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to Working With People by PaveStep. Feel free to check us out, other episodes, on pavestep.com slash podcast. Thank you, Len. My pleasure. Thank you. Stay safe, everyone.